Welcome to The Bittersweet Life, a show for expats, former expats, travelers, and dreamers. It's a show about letting go of the rope, so to speak, and what happens when you do. If you're new to the show, I encourage you to go back to the beginning to episode one and join us for the whole journey. There are a lot of great episodes in the past that you shouldn't miss. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Last week, we talked all about transitions with a guest named John Wynn, who is a psychiatrist and organizational consultant in Seattle and former expat. We didn't totally cover it with John last week. Do you feel like we did? Tiffany? I definitely think that um, what he has to say is interesting, so I'm interested to hear what else he ha- might have to say on the subject. Yeah, so there was a little bit more that we didn't play last week that we wanted to tackle this week. This sense that a lot of expats have that they didn't belong in uh, the country that they were raised in, that they felt more comfortable and at home in other parts of the world. And that brings up a stereotype that outsiders often looking at expats feel is that why can't they cope with their home culture. If you are an expat, particularly a long-time, long-term expat, you're going to hear it from your family at some point when you go back. You're going to get, especially if you have a really critical sister like I do, you're going to hear, what are you running from? When are you moving back? Are you done with your little European adventure yet? Now, I have to say, my sister doesn't actually say these things to me. I think because she's figured it out at this point that it's very unlikely that I'm coming back. But I think a lot of expats hear that. When it comes to expats, there is a stereotype that expats are running, running from something. Is there something to that, the kind of people who become expats? So I asked John Wynn about that, and here's what he had to say. I often think of the comment from The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's statement, not all who wander are lost. Some people are meant to settle down, stay one place, and be there perhaps their entire adult life. Other people are much more comfortable moving from place to place. I would not pathologize that. I wouldn't think that that means there's something wrong with them. I think it is just a different personality that has different needs. Sometimes it's a need for novelty, a need for change. So you go somewhere, you hang out there for three, five, ten years, and then there's a been there, done that kind of feeling that leads you to another place. And that may be moving from Capitol Hill to Queen Anne, or it may mean moving from Queen Anne to Zimbabwe, depending on your opportunities and your inclinations. There are, of course, people who are restless and not really happy wherever they go. And sometimes they're looking for the geographic cure that externalizes their dissatisfaction instead of looking within where the dissatisfaction really resides. So these people have serial relationships and none of those relationships are really sustainable. They grow stale, they become conflictual, or they just sort of die of their own accord. And eventually where they're living is suffused with those failed relationships and it's time to go, you know. But again, I think there's an enormous variety of folks who 
have these creative impulses that lead them to move from place to place and they wind up feeling productive and successful in each place. They establish new relationships in each place and often maintain those relationships over periods of decades. Um, and then there are others who are chronically dissatisfied and looking outside for what is probably inside. And how much does fear come to play in all this? One of the, the reactions I got when I decided to move abroad was a reaction from some people that say, well, well I could never do something like that. Never. And I feel that in our, ourselves and coming back to Seattle, which made the most sense, our families here and all of our job connections are here. But sometimes we ask that question, are we still here just because we have all these connections and we're afraid of starting at the baseline if we were to go somewhere else, even though we just did that last year. So I guess that's one of the questions is fear. How is it controlling what I'm doing and what other people are doing with their lives? It's a wonderful question. And I understand that when you guys moved, your husband had a position in Rome. He had this fellowship. And so part of it was prepackaged for you. And there was already a situation that was well-defined for you. There is often a kind of arousal associated with anything that is new. And that arousal can be described as a pleasant kind of excitement or as fear. When we think about the novelty of moving to a new place, whether it's the novelty we anticipate or actually the novelty that we experience, there's always gonna be some level of arousal and again, that could be the excitement for something that's coming, or it could be a fear of what we're losing or leaving behind. The fear factor has to do with not having everything figured out in advance, not having things perfectly planned, perfectly settled. Sometimes you go to a new town and all you've got is an apartment to stay in and a job search to begin. And that can be quite daunting for a lot of people. Other people think that's the most exciting, best way to travel, right? So it's different strokes for different folks. The question really is, what are the advantages of going to a new place? And how do those advantages outweigh the fear of change? When I think about my own experiences of living in many different places, I think what made that possible for me was the amount of preparation I was able to do in advance and the confidence I had coming in that I would have a program, a place to stay, activities to do, places where I was expected, responsibilities, and that those would lead to relationships at work, at school. Certainly it's very challenging to move to a town with none of that. And you would really wonder, what were you thinking? Um, and I think that would be a strong case for flight. That would look like flight. It wasn't that I was going to this place. It's I was getting out of Dodge, right? So what about people who are offered the opportunity to relocate and decide not to? Oh, I could never do that. I could never move so far away. Why the resistance? Why the reluctance? Well, sometimes it's just a matter of not messing up something that's working very well. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why should I leave this town where I'm so settled and everything's going so well? And of course, the answer is, think of the exposure, the opportunities, the new insights you'll have from living in a totally foreign culture. And the answer is, yeah, but I'd miss Seahawks games and uh, I don't want to go without the Mariner season or my trips on the ferry or the opportunity to hike at Mount Rainier. So there are very personal decisions, preferences, and priorities that come into play. 
I feel like I've benefited so much from having lived in several foreign countries that the reluctance to do that, I think of that as unfortunate. I think everybody should have an opportunity to live in a very different culture if they can. The fear should be addressed proactively by making plans, making connections before you get wherever you're going, and knowing that things will be uncertain and not completely settled for a while once you get there, as long as you have at least one solid project to sort of keep you grounded while you wander about otherwise. I lived in Geneva, Switzerland for a while, but I was well-connected at the university before I got there. I arrived with nowhere to stay. I had a family of a friend who arranged for me to have a place to stay for the first few weeks while I looked for an apartment. So for a while, I had daily activities at the university, but then I was scrambling to find a place to live. Well, that worked out fine. Because I, I did have a place to stay while I was looking for a place to live. And I did have a university setting where I was meeting people and making friends and sort of establishing myself. Different people need different levels of prearrangement before they go into a new situation. I'll say it another way. We experience transitions in very different ways, sometimes with a lot of fear, sometimes with even joyful expectation. The important thing is to know yourself as you move into a period of transition and ask yourself, what will I need to go through this? Who must I bring with me? What do I need to have in place when I get there? What will support my ongoing project, whether it's a career project or a project of self-exploration? And how can I arrange for that to be waiting for me when I get there? But also, what do I wanna make sure I don't set up before I arrive so that I will explore, so that I won't just settle for whatever I found online or through a friend before I arrived? If our goal is to cultivate ourselves, our relationships, our insights into the world, it's important to make sure we don't get things too settled too quickly so that we have time for the uncertainty and the exploration. So that was John Wynn, psychiatrist, former expat, organizational consultant in Seattle. If you want to hear more from him and you missed last week's show on transitions, then you can hear a lot from him on that show. And I should reiterate that he made a generous offer to our listeners that if we get enough interesting questions, we might want to call upon a psychiatrist to answer. He's willing to let me come back to his office and ask your questions to him to get answers. So for those of you who are expats freelancing and don't have the money for psychiatric help, here's your chance. Sweet. Email us at bittersweetlife@mail.com or leave your question on Twitter bittersweet pod at bittersweet pod that's our our handle mm -hmm. we will be listening we will be listening and i will be making a list what stood out to you from what he said i was really fascinated with this idea of the arousal of newness that he talks about this idea that you can almost get off on all of the novelty of being and living in a new place and it made me think about the literal arousal that you get from being with a new partner and how exciting that is. All of those moments, the first moments together, even simple things like holding hands or a first kiss or the first months of a relationship, how exciting that is. And some people find that so exciting that they can't move on past that. And you find a lot of people who get into these serial short relationships 
And once the newness fades, they get bored and they need to move on to someone else. And, and so he brought up this idea that there may be expats who are doing the same thing, who are moving to a new place and they're getting so aroused. I mean, that was the word he used, obviously not in a sexual way, but in, in a visual or personal growth sort of way. This view that I have, it's not the view that I had yesterday and find all of these exciting new things about the place that you're living and it might be so exciting to you and you might love it and then eventually it might fade and it might become your real life and that might not be good enough anymore and you might need to move on and so as an expat you know you do kind of have to be careful that you're not falling into that sort of a trap well is it a trap i think it could be a trap i mean as anyone who's in a long committed relationship knows that as amazing as that newness feels, and it's amazing, it doesn't compare to having real, deep, lasting, mutual love for someone and being in a committed, loving relationship. I, I think it's kind of like the difference between, I don't eat meat, but like a burger and a steak, that kind of analogy. Or someone would say the difference between porn and sex. So I think that newness is great, but you don't want to fall into the trap of feeling like you can only enjoy something if it's new. If you can only get excited about your partner when <laughs> they're new, then that's like signaling a problem in my mind. And if you can only get excited about the place you live, if you've only been there for three months, <laughs> then I think that's, that might be a problem too. So how do you differentiate between not having any stick-to-itive, is that a word? Stick-to-itiveness? Stick-to-itiveness, I think so. Okay. I think it's a fake word. Sounds fair enough. How do you know that you can't stick to something, <laughs> I'll just put it that way, versus that you're just bored, or maybe not even bored, but just done with the location that you're in? I don't know. I can't, I don't, I don't know. Um, because I'm not a serial expat, and I've really only lived, with the exception of <clears throat> a few years in university in Canada, I've only really been an expat in Rome, and I've been here for a long time, so I can't really say we should get in here as someone who's lived in many, many places. I mean, part of me totally envies that, because part of me is like, oh my god, I would love to live in Amsterdam for a year, I would love to live in the south of France for a year, maybe in Madrid, maybe in Australia, Bali, like, I love that idea, and ideally, I almost would like to do that, but... In one of the first podcasts that we taped after you came back to Seattle, you mentioned something about being back in real life. For me, I mean, I have lived in Rome for over 10 years. So for me, that is my real life. And that is my nine to five and my get a job and go to work and all of those kind of quote unquote boring things that come along with your day-to-day -day life, if you're an expat in a city long enough, you will have to deal with those things. So it's not like if you move abroad, you're never going to have to deal with getting up when you don't want to and going to a job that you don't like. Let's just hypothetically saying you don't like your job. So maybe an expat who's constantly changing cities is trying to escape that real life. It could be that they are not growing up to a certain degree? To a certain degree. I've noticed that with a lot of, of expat friends of mine. Not so much the ones I, I spend a lot of time with now because they've really, most of them, integrated into society. But when I was a full-time tour guide and I was spending a lot of time with people who were the kind of expats who do seasonal work, who come and live in a city for six months, make a bunch of money, 
and then go back to wherever they're from or go somewhere else for another six months and then move back. And they, they don't have roots anywhere. Yeah, there's something really attractive about that lifestyle. But on the other hand, you're not connecting to one place. It reminds me, I don't know why it reminds me of a story, but it reminds me of a story of a guy that I knew once who was married and him and his wife decided that they weren't going to just get married. They were going to get married in as many cultures around the world as they possibly could. And so they went all over the world, even got their rings blessed by the Dalai Lama. Wow. <laughs> like really extensive. Did went, went out to some tribal village in the middle of rural Africa and were married there. All sorts of crazy things. And they had this amazing photo album of all the different places and all the different cultures that they were married in and all these stories about the different traditions of marriage. But my question for him after looking through this book was, well, where is your wife? And he said, well, after all that was over, we just didn't really get along. <gasps> they got divorced? Yep. Did they have to go back to all those places to have divorces? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they're not technically divorced. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god, that is that is horrible. That is so sad. Mm -hmm. But I think it is kind of telling in a way. I don't think that necessarily that would have to happen. Because some people just love to travel and love culture and they would do it for that reason. But yeah, that's that's incredible. But it's a good illustration of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. addiction to cultural experiences but it was also an addiction to newness and when all the newness of the ceremonies and the travel were gone the staleness of the partner was still there yeah I mean at least I've never heard of any couple that has been able to hang on to the excitement and the romance that you have in the first few months of a relationship a relationship. Now you can have the most romantic partner in the world who can, you know, serenade you and bring you flowers when you've been married for 40 years. And there are people like that, but it's never like that excitement, that thrill, that butterfly in the stomach. I mean, if you have, especially if you have kids with someone, you live with them, you see them in their worst conditions. You see them when they're sick and they see you, you see them on the toilet. Like, there's a certain amount of familiarity that you can't get away from. And in a sense, you can really compare that with living in a city. I mean, for me, living in Rome, if I were a tourist and I came to Rome and I saw just the Colosseum and the Spanish Steps and Trevi Fountain and Piazza Navona, I would think, you know, wow, Rome is a really, you know, it's, it's, it's perfect. There's nothing, well, actually, I wouldn't think that because there's a lot of garbage even in the center, center of the city. But when you see the underbelly of a city and you see the, the kind of dirty side and you get out into the suburbs and you see the low rent apartments of the projects and you see slums and gypsy camps and all the kind of things that you find in the urban sprawl in any major city. And it's an unattract, it's kind of an unattractive thing. But if you don't see that and you don't experience that, can you really say you know a city? That is a fine question. I'm going to just I let don't... it hang there for a minute. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do with what we've been talking about. But I, I do think that getting over that newness stage, I mean, you've got to do it. Even if you don't stay there forever, 
It's like those marriages that end after six months. It's like, come on, you didn't even try, you know? Like six months, come on. What about the stuff that he was talking about at the end there where he, he said that everybody has their different phases about how many plans they have to have in place before they're willing to move to a new place or, or try something new out versus how much they don't want to set up so that well, they have the element of surprise and exploration. You moved abroad much more recently than I did. So maybe you should answer that. Like, how much did you set up, you, you and Derek, when you were planning your move to Rome? Well, very little. I mean, what we did set up was that he was in a program and we knew what that program was going to be. That's a big thing. That's, that's already a pretty big thing. We had a temporary apartment, but we didn't really know where we were going to live. So I guess we also had a place to land when we got here. And the biggest plan of all, you were there. <laughs> and now I didn't necessarily set that up, but it certainly uh, worked out well. It was a very nice coincidence. Yes. It would have been a very different year if I knew no one and I also wasn't involved in a program, if it was just me. Mm, it would definitely. I had a lot less when I moved to Rome. I did have a place to stay because I had some relatives Yes, you've mentioned so them before. I, I've mentioned them, yeah. Um, so I did have that sort of safety net, which I think is kind of the, it's really the bare minimum. Unless you have so much money that you can afford to rent a super expensive temporary apartment or stay in a hotel, you need to have something set up. You need to have a one-month apartment or you need to have someone that you can stay with. Otherwise, you're just going to spend so much money looking. But I didn't have much else. I definitely didn't have any friends. I didn't have a job or any kind of program. Do you remember the very first step that you took toward getting employment when you were yes. illegal? Oh, over yes. There? I can tell you the exact moment. Okay. I was in Trastevere. I didn't even know Trastevere. Honestly, I had been to Rome many times, but I had never been to Trastevere. Maybe because it's on the other side of the river. I had never ventured over. Um, but I was on the airplane, and I was moving to Rome, and, and this woman, who was an expat, I don't know if she lived in Rome or not, she was a lot older than me, she said, oh, you should live in Trastevere, that's where all the young Americans live. And so I was like, okay, I'll look, at, I'll look into it. And I ended up going over there and falling in love with this neighborhood that's just so picturesque and so adorable. So I was desperate to find an apartment in that area, but this is before internet was so accessible. Like The people I was staying with didn't have internet, there were no internet cafes in the area I was in. So if I wanted to look for an apartment, I had to take the massive trek on public transport to get into the center, to get to Trastevere, and just wander around trying to find notices for rented, rental apartments. So I was looking for an apartment. I was walking through the streets. I was so lost because Trastevere is like a labyrinth, and I didn't know it at all. And I saw a kid, a young man, who looked like he could be American, and he was carrying a yoga mat. And I, at that time, was a yoga teacher. That was my plan initially, was to teach yoga. That's actually what I, my first job in Rome. So I followed this guy. I was like, I'm just going to follow him and see where he's going. And I eventually caught up to him and I said, is there a yoga studio around here? And he said, yeah, there's one right around the corner. And I went there and I got them to give me a job. That's great. So that was it. So did you have the job before the apartment? I don't think so. I, I think it all happened kind of around the same time, like in the same week, which would have been maybe my second week in Rome. Hmm. The hardest thing, and I've talked about this before, the hardest thing for me was making friends. And I'm a very outgoing person, so that was kind of a surprise for me. 
but I think today it would be much easier with Twitter. I found that people on Twitter are particularly open, especially in the expat community. If you develop an online relationship with someone on Twitter who lives in the city that you want to live in, and then you eventually move there, you can probably get some people to go out to lunch with, and you can start to slowly develop a community. There was nothing of that when I moved to Rome. There was no expat groups. There was no Facebook. So I was sort of awash in this sea. I knew there were expats out there. I just didn't know where they were. Oh, well, but, I mean, going back to the original point, I guess it just depends on the individual person. There are people who are planners. There are people who wouldn't dream of going on vacation without having every single day mapped out, the itinerary done, travel insurance, all the restaurants picked in advance. And there are people who go on a vacation, they don't even have a hotel, and they just wing it. Mm-hmm. Depends on the person. I'm the worst combination. I'm a person who likes to have a lot of it planned, but I don't want to have to plan it. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. It's nice for your husband. I suppose that's what cruises were created for, right? But I can't bring Probably. myself to go on a cruise. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> anyway, we should probably leave it there. Don't you think? Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. This is the Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Follow us on Twitter. Maybe there you'll make you some new friends <laughs> at Bittersweet Pod. Hey, if you're not doing anything, go rate us on iTunes. We need some ratings, seriously, and some reviews. So do that too. Do you want to advise them to do anything else? Have a good day. Just have a <laughs> cut that last bit. That's all I'm going to advise you to do. <laughs> and if I ignore that advice, it's to my own peril. All right, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.